Hannah Lapper jerks Harrison off. It's the unofficial, unexpected, and unfiltered Canadian motocross race review featuring Ryan the Newf Lockhart and Ryan Gold with your host, Ken Ken. Welcome to the Canadian Motocross Unfiltered Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. And as usual, we have uh, the new from Galdi here to share their insight and expertise on the race from the, this past weekend. But before we get into this past weekend, we have to talk about uh, last weekend. Apparently there is some uh, new information on what we discussed about Cole Thompson. Galdi, you can take it away from there. Uh, yeah, so last weekend on our show, uh, we were pretty, both myself and Newf were pretty aggressive on the whole Thompson incident between himself and Ryder McNabb, and, um, you know, no, there's no secret, Cole has created quite a bit of drama over his career, uh, whether it's on the track, off the track, America, Canadian, whatever it is, there's always something that has followed the 16, um, and that it's not always put in a positive light, so... The majority of times when we get talking about him, it's very easy for a lot of us to just go right to the, he's the dick, he's the jerk, he's the asshole, it's his fault kind of thing. And again, the high percentages lean that direction. There's not a lot of times where it's really come out where he's been the guy smelling like, you know, the rose, if you will. Um, but in this instance, myself and if we kind of, we went off and obviously we had information, it was more um, information coming from one side rather than the other. Um, and we, we call them a douchebag. And uh, it was, you know, we probably using words maybe we should have. I don't know. It's kind of more fun in the bantering of it as far as the words go. But it was a little unprofessional on my side. And I'm okay with saying that. I've been doing this a long time. I've, As I've told people a few times, I've, I'm missing toes because I've ate my foot many times. But that's part of the job. <laughs> you miss some information and you say things. And that's what it is. And you can talk about it after as a professional. That's what I'm doing right here. So I got more information. Actually, Cole called me because he was upset. And he felt like he wanted to get vindicated, and he shared his shared his information, and he basically said that he was joking on the line. He was he was telling a joke, and and uh, it it sounds like it got misconstrued, and that's not the way it was. And Ryder was accepting of the the joke and saying, you know, do you want the smoke and this and that. And they had a conversation about, hey man, how's your Honda? And what's this like? Is Cole was going to get a Honda, and maybe not do Blue Crew at the, at the end of the year? He wasn't sure, and so they had a conversation, and maybe that part of the conversation wasn't relayed when the other information was transferred through the pit um, on headset and stuff like that. So we had a good conversation. He, he, and at the end of it, I still was on the side of like, Hey man, you've made your bed. It's a lot of times there's, I just, I don't see how we could come back and this and that. Yeah. So a text message come in or a direct message, whatever from Instagram from Ryder himself um, or someone on Ryder's account, because it was Ryder's a name. And it said, Hey guy, sorry. Yeah. Hey, we understand that it, it was all a joke, man. It was all good. Um, the parties took the information and went a little bit far with it. And that was basically it, but it had Ryder's name on it. And basically what it did is vindicate what Cole shared to me in the story. So um, it, it's not an apology, but I'll take it back saying that, you know, it was maybe wrong for us not to get both sides of the story. And it sounds like Cole was making a joke. And of course there's been other information saying, no, no, that's not the way it went. And that is the way it went. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's fucking high school. It's stupid. <laughs> sometimes drama and everything like that. And um uh, uh, in this instance right here, like I said, Cole has never been the one uh, coming out on the high positives uh, with this stuff. But this one here sounds like he was joking around with the kid, and, and that's where it ends. So uh, to Cole Thompson, I don't think we're going to see him in Canadian Moto for a while. He's very upset. Uh, but if he does listen to this, then uh, it sounds like in this instance was, you know, playing uh, playing the good guy where sometimes he's been playing the villain. So we'll end it at that, and uh, we can carry on to uh, this coming weekend because now we have a whole fucking shit ton of more drama to get into. Well, I'll go. I'll, I'll I'll talk about it a little bit too. I spoke to Cole on the on the phone as well, same as Galdi. He called Galdi first, called me second, told me his side of the story. It was a very cordial conversation for about twenty minutes. We not only talked about that situation, but we talked about basically everything that he's kind of been involved in over the years. And I respect that he took he it took a man to to call call somebody out and uh yeah we basically ended the phone call with you know moving moving forward and uh yeah it is what it is i'll touch one more thing out of all the instances the coals and the negatives or whatever it is even myself saying things i've done this is the first time he's ever reached out yeah. so 
I truly believe that he felt that he was in the right on his side of things. So that kind of gives a little more percentage that way. Where all the other ones, there's never been a reach out or a phone call or yeah. a thing. He's in the wrong there. This one here, he felt like they needed to be vindicated. So a little respect for sure. Okay, well, that's out of the way. So, uh, like you said, Goldie, we I have a lot. Ken. It's all Ken's fault. Nobody yeah, you can Ken's blame me. Nobody has my phone number, so just blame everything on me. <laughs> like you said, Goldie, we have a whole hell of a lot to talk about from this weekend, so let's get into that. I think the first thing we need to talk about was that 250 Moto2. Holy shit, was that a good race. Things well, were happening. I was trying to tweet out as things were happening, and I was switching from the app to Twitter, and I could still hear the race, but I couldn't see it, and I couldn't get a sentence out before something else was happening. So I don't know, just maybe uh, you were there, you saw everything happening off camera, on camera, you can kind of go into that, Goldie. Well, I guess I'll set the stage a little bit here, and, and Newf can uh, can add to it here, so I won't I won't go right into it, I'll let Newf chat, I mean, kind of care, because this, it was, the 250 class, obviously, this whole year has been unbelievable. Like, you, you can't paint a better picture for if you're trying to get new fans of the sport, or you're trying to create a television show, or you're trying to promote your series. It really is. This is bag this shit up, put it on the shelf, mark it for nine nine, and fucking buy every bit of it because it is un freaking right now. And um, so we learned come the weekend uh, about Saturday morning ish, Saturday afternoon. I started learning that both Piccolo and McNabb have crashes. Well, practicing McNabb's doing a start. And he crashes, kind of just falls over on a rock or something like that, hurts his, hits his shoulder. And then Piccolo was riding an SMX, Jeremy Mackay, and they're trying to set a fastest lap. And he has a bit of a moment where he's trying to scrub something, and he loses control and has a big get-off. And he's dealing with a, with a beat-up body, too. So in practice, Piccolo looked fine, but the free practice, McNabb didn't. So it was kind of questionable what was going to happen, what was going to go on, and if these kids could, you know, toughen up right they're only 17 and 18 or both 17 so like you know this was going to be proven to see if these two kids could be like these uh you know these warriors and heroes that we we place them at in our in this sport and uh a did they show up like it didn't even look like they were hurt all day and then obviously piccolo's second motor crash which we'll talk about but Nufa, i'll just i want to throw it to you like i'm really impressed with that like again i don't know how big the crashes were both me and you we've hit the dirt before but that's pretty impressive that they, you know, they actually didn't keep it quiet either. They shared about it. Like, yeah. they talked about it. Like, most of the time, these teams and kids are, like, talking about it. Like, Diggs come over to me. He's like, hey, man, I need some Advil if you got some for me. For you know what I mean? So, I don't know. I just kind of talked about that quickly before we get into stuff. I thought that was just cool because a lot of times nowadays, these kids, both me and you, we could talk off camera, on camera, on podcast, off. We kind of tend to think there's a little bit of pussy sometimes, but not these two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, the whole week was crazy and obviously it's getting down to crunch time in this championship and there was obviously a big point swing last weekend at Gopher, which I write a, a little column there for mxpmag.com and, and I wrote that this Sandalee round could be one of the biggest rounds um, as far as the points go because we've seen some big swings here at Sandalee as well as some like unbelievable racing. It's a little bit harder to pass and stuff like that so it always seems to produce some good stuff and then Man, when I woke up on, obviously I wasn't at the race, when I woke up on uh, Sunday morning and I'm looking at the, the free practice, I didn't know any of this stuff happened, um, to be honest with you. I heard that Ryder hurt his shoulder, but I was like, ah, whatever. But he was 25th in the first practice. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? So I start texting and there's some information coming back saying, oh, you know, his shoulder's screwed and he's hurting and he doesn't know if he can do this. And then... It's like, he's just going to tough it out. I'm thinking in my head, this is over. I'm like, it's done. Like, it, this is a two-rider two race going going down to the final with, with Harrison and McNatt, or sorry, Harrison and Piccolo. Then I hear that Piccolo had a big get-off during the week, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And, uh, man, like you said, they, they, they showed up. I heard there was some uh, very motivational speech uh, speeches coming from Dylan Wright to Ryder McNatt before the first moto, like, Get your shit together and don't be a pussy and tough it out. And, and wow, uh, a 1-1, one, one, a little bit of luck on his side uh, for sure in Moto2, I would say. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a lot. Like, in, in I'll take my bias side from the team. We've been on the other side of that where McNabb's had some issues and stuff. And, and like last year, you know, Piccolo kind of had all the cards fall in his, uh, in his favor. But 
it's been it's been wild man like literally i'll back it up even further after manitoba i'm like this isn't looking great for for the honda camp coming in rider was sick he wasn't performing the attitude was maybe a little bit off he just kind of seemed down in the dumps and holy shit what a turnaround in four motos um for McNabb, where now we're seeing the harrison piccolo wheels kind of come off a little bit where they seemed they couldn't do anything wrong at the first at the first few rounds right so um dude this thing is like last year this is unbelievable like who knows what the hell's going to happen over these next uh next eight motos six motos right yeah and i mean ken you're you don't know you didn't know any of this information going in so you know now we now we get to the first moto and we've got the information i saw you throwing some tweets out on the unfiltered twitter and all that kind of stuff and then first they do the first start and McNabb and, and piccolo are they're out front. They're like second and third. Uh, William Creighton got introduced to the series here, which is kind of cool. He old shot both motos. Yeah. McNabb and Piccolo are, are like two and three. And fucking Harrison's laying in the first turn. <laughs> yeah, wow. Now you got these kids that are apparently all beat up. They're out front. Harrison's, he was 35th on the green flag, which is a, a, a close green flag, right? Like a, for the start here. And then by the second lap, I think he was in about 17th, like when he started picking guys off. So, we're on the show, and we're like, this is crazy. Like, what's going on here? And then McNabb makes a pass, Piccolo in a second, so it's quiet up front. But then Harrison, he just fucking puts on a charge. Like, he just keeps going and going and going. And it's not like the 450 class, which obviously we'll talk about with Dylan Wright's second moto coming through, but it's not like the 450 class. These, all these, other, these guys that he's passing are all, like, le- super legit. Not that the guys on the 450 are legit, but the guys that are in 450 from 8th to... 15th Dylan Wright is eight seconds a lot faster at times so yeah. Harrison he's going by Canella he's going by Amiot he's going by um like the any name brand guy that's chasing these guys he went past and the guy who like, won the last two going, and then he's going again and then boom he's getting uh he gets racing with about I can't remember if it was last lap or second last lap but I think it was last lap I think it was last lap and he's in the third we're doing points in my head. Like I do that on the show all the time. I'm always trying to build like a little hype and drama around the point stuff. Right. Especially when we got a series like that. And then we're coming in at one point, McNabb's got the red plate over Piccolo going into the second moto. And then it can't happen. And then, and anyway, Harrison's first motor ride was unbelievable. He came off the moto. He was pumped. He, he's like, let's go right now. Kind of thing. McNabb obviously was just stoked that he pulled it off. Piccolo was happy with a second. So like heading into the, the, the second moto where we like I've, I've touted it as the best Canadian moto I think I've ever seen. Like the, the storylines was just amazing. We got two beat up kids, one that just got a talking dude to not be a pussy wins the moto. The other one gets the second and Harrison comes from way behind to basically save it. And the points are like close, but they don't flip flop as big as what they possibly could. Yeah. And I, I don't know, Ken, you, you're, you got a chance to watch it. You said you didn't have a chance to watch the show. We follow Twitter, but I mean, going into the second moto as a fan, I, I'm I'm just like tickled pink. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was it was pretty impressive, and things just happened so fast that, uh, like I said, it was hard to even just follow and, and keep up with what was going on. And then of course that heartbreaker at the end, last like what twenty five yards from the finish line. Hey, don't fucking jump ahead yet, there. Okay. Don't jump ahead. <laughs> don't jump ahead. You're, we're missing a whole lot of shit here. If people didn't watch that TV show. Okay. So. The, you get to the second moto. Ryder McNabb takes the inside gate. Josiah Noski, who, by the way, apparently didn't show up this weekend. Yeah. I have no idea what happened. And I didn't get a chance to ask him at the end of the day. Um, a few little chatters in the pit saying that he got a... His, his, uh, they changed the motor package in the bike uh, because there was chatter before thinking that the motor package wasn't a legit package. So maybe they are playing... I don't know what happened there. I didn't get a chance to do it. I don't want to speak on it. But yeah, where the fuck was he? Like, what happened there? Apparently, he'll be definitely be telling people from New Zealand that Sandalee is not a good, fun place to race, and he doesn't like coming here. Because he went, like, what did he go, 8-11? No, he went 6, uh, he went 6, what's the second moto here? 6-10. Six, 6-10, ten. Ten. Six, ten. okay, so from what we've seen to what this was, Noof, like... Well, yeah, I mean, dude, he put a hurting on these guys. Like, it's fair to say, like, he smoked those guys at go for dunes regardless like led pretty much every lap and was see you later gonzo and then 
not even really a player like looking at the lap times they're not even i mean he started 28th in the first moto so i don't know if he got tangled up but like he didn't make the moves that you know harrison made harrison would have went by him in the first moto there was probably some crashes and stuff in there but yeah i mean talk about his momentum kind of getting shit on um I kind of I had said a couple times like with the way that he rode in those in that Walton one and and Gopher this guy could go undefeated the rest of the year right like nobody's gonna beat him but uh, that sure changed I, I forgot that he was even out there because he he kind of wasn't a player this weekend didn't which, see him once you know, I don't probably think. there were some issues but who knows well yeah. the the he um we I, we labeled a little bit of the points here but he hasn't really stolen because he's been beating them. Yeah, and then, I mean, finished behind them, so he didn't. He hasn't really played a factor yet, as far no. as you know, a two point or a three point swing or whatever here in the stuff. But yeah, it was weird. So anyway, he's he's uh, gated beside him, and then you go all the way back down, and and Piccolo and Harrison are like maybe three or four from the inside of the gate. Like so, the gate kind of moved here, and if you know, like the, the inside was always the strongest. Yep, and it's not really like that anymore. Uh, Madags in the four fifty pole. <laughs> three gates on the outside of the box. So, like, there's a little bit more friendlier gate choices here compared to, I think they moved it. I asked Kevin Tyler, he's like, we never really moved it. It's just sort of the way the first turn got pushed around. And yeah. Stuff like that. So, anyway, McNabb starts in the inside. Nosky's beside him, and there's some Piccolo outside there. Piccolo, uh, William Craig gets a start again. Piccolo's right there. Uh, Harrison is, is, well, he's top five. Last two bikes to the first turn, Nosky and McNabb. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm just looking at it. And I'm like, what in the shit? So the guy that wins the moto is now last. <laughs> the red plate was last in the first moto. Like you're just you're this picture that I'm painting. If I'm Picasso, I'm just I'm just fucked right now. Throwing paint on a board and just hoping that at the end of it. And then at the end of this, you're like, wow, that worked out really good. Right on, man. Okay, people are gonna buy this for millions of dollars. So you you see McDonald, but and of course we're getting into the race now. Now the race is coming up. Piccolo gets into the lead. It looks like boom. Piccolo's got this thing. He's in control. And then all of a sudden, we got a camera shot of Harrison laying on the ground. So now Harrison crashes. And we're like, what's going on? And then McNabb, he's picking away. He's picking away. He gets himself going. And he gets by Harrison. He passes Natsuki. He's up into maybe ten, maybe eight minutes into the race. He's into like eighth place. Right? And Harrison's behind him. About maybe 11th place. And then all of a sudden, the next group knew, like, as you know, in this class, the next group, again, it's Canella. It was Natsuki. It was it was Amiot. It, um, Tyler Bennett was in yeah. there. <laughs> Wyatt Kerr. Yeah. Uh, like, good. These kids are, <laughs> excuse me, the kids are not, like I said, five seconds off a lot. These guys are all within a second of each other. And they just kept pushing and pushing. And then all of a sudden, it fucking... Harrison's third, McNabb's second, and leading because Piccolo ejected himself by the yeah. mechanics. Goes to 19th. He goes from first to 19th in one lap, right? So it was a big yeah. one. It was a big one, Noof. And then he starts catching back up. Like, I'm again, you didn't get to watch, but on Twitter, you must be just like trying to refresh and to well, catch up. No, I was actually I was I was out riding and I was driving home and uh, I was watching the live timing and I literally almost went in the ditch with a few laps to go because I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, I thought the live timing was broken with the switches and the reds and the greens on the live timing. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, it was unbelievable. So, Ken, on your side, you're watching. What do you like? So now we're now we're into the point of where is Racine McNabb. And uh, and Harrison one two three at about I don't know say the sixteen seventeen minute mark because Piccolo crashed. Like, what do you what is what's going on from a guy watching it in at home right now and just you know as a fan like this this the show I hope the show was good. Oh, it was it was awesome. Yeah, like you said, the cameraman did a good job of following the action, like uh, following uh, Mitchell Harrison around. It looked like he was going to be the guy, right? And then he gets up into he goes up into third, up into second, and then. Uh, like he said on his his podium interview, he just kind of went for that that pass uh, in that right hand turn there, and just pushed the front end and went down. And then he, okay, well I guess it's not Mitchell Harrison. Here here comes uh, Racine. He's going to get his first moto win again. I just the lapper, back to that. the lapper, the lappers. No, were so we'll, we'll get lappers were unbelievable. I, I I guess I mean okay, look it, we're we're racing new. I might go on a rant here about it because well hold, well hold on a second before you go into your rant. Harrison was. 
at, at least in my opinion, he was the guy in that second moto. I mean, yeah, he, he was faster. He, he was he was dropping the hammer, and I thought for sure, I'm like, oh, Racine's going to get tired. Racine's going to get tired. Yeah. Well, that actually changed. Racine dropped the hammer when he got close. Like Harrison was doing 203s, and Racine was doing 206s. Well, with the second, so lot 14 out of 15, Harrison does a 206. Racine does one of his best, almost his, well, his second best lap time. The moto drops it to a 205 on lap 14. So, man, like Racine wanted that thing bad when I thought that, dude, the wheels are coming off. Harrison's coming. McNabb kind of surrendered a little bit. I think he was feeling the effects of moto one and obviously the crash during the week. And I'm like, dude, Har- Harrison's fitness, there's no question, is the best of the group out there. Um, because, man, he had to work hard. But, I was super impressed with Racine was able to go faster than him with that second to last lap. Like he wanted that thing super bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now you can rant. Now you can rant. I don't, I mean, I don't want to rant. These guys are all racing. They're trying hard. You know, these guys are the guys that are leading are going so fast, but this weekend there was like eight blue flags. Like they went overboard this weekend here in mm-hmm. San Lee, whether it was their staff, the MRC guys, and then just helpers Like they wanted to make sure, cause they know going in that it is sometimes tough to pass here, which, wasn't a problem this weekend there was a lot of places and a lot of passes maybe a record amount of passes for Lee in the history of how many times we come here international but like god damn it kids god damn it get like you know you're racing you see the blue flag and i know it says hold your line but just take a glance take a glance know where your surroundings are and like well, man, it, but it, you know what? It ended up screwing them all. Like, every one of them yeah. got screwed by a lapper at some point. So the first one was the lapper coming around, the big sweeper in the back. McNabb is behind him. The kid hits the rut, blows his leg off, looks like he's going to knack-knack, fall off the bike and whiskey. Yeah. And that guy, he kind of goes into McNabb's line. McNabb panics, goes around the outside of him, and Harrison steals the second spot. So now McNabb's back to third, and it looks like he's going to settle. He starts kind of losing it. Then a lapper jerks Harrison off, and he he uh, falls back, and then McNabb's back on him. And then a lapper screws Racine, and then they're all three of them are back together. So now we get the white flag. It's Racine, Harrison, McNabb. A lapper kind of screws up Racine, and Harrison is right on him. Fine, and I'm like, where's he going to get him? What's going to happen? And you see him try to push, and he jumps to the outside of before House Kitchen, drops the front end, he goes down, Racine pulls away, now McNabb's in the second. So the luck, the luck of the the of McNabb, it starts here. So then Harrison picks it up. He's in third, boom, he's gonna get three, three, three on the day, and he's gonna lose uh eight points to to Ryder at this point. Right? Or sorry, not eight points, he's gonna lose seven points at this point. So it's fine, whatever, it's, it's okay. Then they're battling through, and the crowd here, so Sebastian Racine is local. The crowd is just loving it. They're cheering. I'm on the mic. I'm trying to bring home and make the most emotional finish line. It's going to be the first win for him. It's going to be the first win for KTM in 2022. And I'm pretty sure no one thought that that was going to happen with Racine. It was going to be Piccolo or Pettis. I mean, that's where the paychecks are going. And the kid comes over the tunnel. Everything's looking good. And... It's in the bag. It's, it's, it's over. Yeah. It's over. Like, it is done. He's 20 yards from the finish line. Poor Devin Smith blows the berm. Not his fault. He falls. And fucking Racine drives right into the back of him. And this place erupts with just heart drop. Oh! Oh, my God! Screaming and yelling. I'm on the TV kind of screaming and yelling. And we can it's right in front of us where our TV is screen. So I'm looking over the TV. I'm not even looking what's on the camera. There's the crowd is right there. The parents. It was pandemonium, man. It was the craziest ending to Canadian moto I have ever seen. And then McNabb just better around the outside of him goes one one on the day. Yeah. Goes three two on the day. He salvages the points. It's down to one point because that would have been the points lead for McNabb by one if yeah. he went 3-3. Three, three, McNabb went 1-1. One, one. But then, as uh, Noof on the on the thing, poor Devin Smith tried to pick his bike up and Racine was stuck it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, wa- I watched like a handful of videos. Triple Crown had a video up of it. Uh, I think Racine's parents shared one like of a cell phone video. And I, honestly, like... 
it was like a mass shooting just went on in the last corner. Like the heartbreak, the fuck, go get up. Like it was just people were going wild, and like it, it almost brings goosebumps to my to me right now to even talk about because like the heartbreak for Racine was just like, what did I do to deserve this? But if you watch it. And a lot of people were like, I don't know why Racine just didn't go to the outside. He had the lead. Well, there was lappers on the outside, too. Mm-hmm. And and I watched it over and over. And obviously, Devin Smith, my buddy, Troy, I loved him to death. And, and Devin was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, he had enough of a gap that he didn't screw Racine, but he went down. Like you said, he blew the burn. Now, I watched it again this morning before we did this. And where things get a little bit weird is Devin, as soon as he goes down, because he's fighting for 14th, which is a great ride for him. He's fighting for 14th, 15th place. I don't even think he knows it's Racine because he had a gap. Obviously, he was probably getting a blue flag, but he's like, oh, man, I'm one corner away. Blows the burn. He doesn't even look behind to see who it is or what it is. He just grabs his bike, picks it up which actually screws Racine even more because Racine's bike's caught in his rear wheel so Racine can't and Devin Smith strong strong as hell he just picked manhandles his bike when I feel if Devin if he hadn't known it was Racine and what the situation was maybe he would have stayed down I don't know probably not maybe who knows at this point but if he hadn't if Devin hadn't picked his bike up then Racine might have been able to get back and finish second because he did have a fairly decent gap after the uh, Harrison crash on the last lap. So, you know, Racine not only crashes into Devin Smith, he also gets tangled, also falls off the side of the bank. The bike is like semi on top of him. He's down for, well, look at his his last lap here. It's a 236. So it was basically a 30-second crash, which was a tip over in a sense. So it was as tragic as it could come with the situation. It was just, it was unbelievable. And I felt like McNabb goes over the finish line because it shows it in the video. He's like, what the hell just happened? Like, he didn't even really celebrate because I don't even know if he knew that was for the win. Yeah, it, it was. And then at the one point when you're talking about how he kind of falls backwards, it looked like on the TV side of where our camera goes, it looked like he was just going to lay there and give up. He's just like, I can't believe this happened. Fuck it, I'm laying. It was over. And then he kind of, yeah. but his leg was stuck. Like, there's, that was the most dramatic ending in the history of a race that I can even remember, Noof. I don't really remember even no. that globally like i don't know if i could ever script something or remember anything globally where it well, is like it ranks way. it ranks up there and, and I, I you know it's hard to compare the two but like other dramatic endings is the the chad reed last lap daytona in the mud when the bike blows up and he's just yep. sitting there yep. uh the jet lawrence last lap through the whoops over the bars for the lead broken collarbone type of scenarios yeah. in our little canadian world right like that's what it to me, that's what it built up to. Yeah. Uh, actually, I can remember 07, JSR leading, runs out of gas at Gopher Dunes. On the oh, line. that's right. That's right. right. Remember, he, he, on the TV, just goes, here, waves him through. Yeah. Right? But, uh, I mean, you got it. The heart breaks for Racine, but like I said in my interview, you know, uh, it, one thing you can take from this is, like, you know you belong. Like, you know you can win now, and just you have to believe that from here on out that you can win. Yes, this is your home track and all that stuff, but – he has the speed and showing it there after a few sort of lackluster weekends. So, um, was uh, let me ask you this, Goldie, because I didn't watch the show. What was Racine like after the moto? Was he just completely devastated? Was he pissed? Was he like, what was his emotion? You know what? Uh, and I'll let Ken answer it too because he saw the interviews, but he handled it like a pro. He, he didn't, did, yeah. he wasn't really emotional. He didn't seem like he was sad or upset. He was just like, damn it, man, that that just that sucks. Like, Talk yeah. out, out, let's get ready for next weekend kind of thing like it was it seemed just like that and and can you listen to his interview and uh it's what he kind of he, he he handled it beautifully i thought he did a really good job yeah like he i think he realized that it wasn't anything he did so you can't shit happens right you can't really feel too bad when when stuff like that happens yeah it sucks I guess it's absolutely. not like a lapper lined him up and t-boned him or yeah. a lapper you know got whiskey yeah. into him it was a a really shitty deal um Overall, I mean, he like I said, he in hindsight, he would have been fine if he had gone outside, but he was doing the right thing because he had the gap to go inside. Unfortunately, Devin washed the front, right? So it's just a racing situation. So 
to end it now on the 250s, we could talk maybe just quickly about a few other notables, but McNabb goes into the weekend, and I know Newf, you said it was Saturday. I thought it was Friday. Whatever day this crash happens. They, there was Diggs told me that there was a phone call from Brad to Diggs saying that he's not going to be able to race this weekend. Yeah. In the last 24 hours, well, not starting right now, but the 24 hours prior to the weekend, going from maybe not racing to battling in the free practice and now out of the championship at one point, like, wow. Like, hello, Canadian moto. Buy into it. Drink it in. Soak it up. Whatever. Hello. To, like, just amazing. Yeah. Well, well on, the, on the McNabb side of things, like, it's been a roller coaster, right? Like, obviously, backing it way up to round one, it was a high. Like, nothing could go wrong. Ryder was arguably the best guy. He went out there and he won fairly easy. Everything was awesome. And then he gets sick, and it's like, it's just been a battle. And, like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't, I mean, the kid's 16, so it's like, I don't know if I can do it. So there's been a lot of, like, you know, kind of not holding hands, but like really working through this championship. And, and honestly, like I'll hold my statement after, after Manitoba, like it was bad, man. We, he did not ride good in Manitoba. He was sick. I thought the wheels came off the bus. I'm like, this is not, this is not his year. Um, these guys are a little bit better right now with, with their health and everything. And, and I just can't believe like he, he's made up 19 points in, in four motos, which on those two guys, that's tough to do when when they're finishing one, two, three, four the whole the whole time. So it's man, it's been it's been been dramatic. That's for sure. And I'll just go to Piccolo now too. He's twenty points back now. Uh, yeah. Basically, him and Ryder have swapped after these last four motos. But like, applause to him for getting up too. We didn't get the crowd. <laughs> I'm not sure how big it is, but it, once we did find him, he was laying there for a bit. So he's still in. Like he's not out of it, and especially if you look at the way the last four motos. Well, I was I was just gonna say, in any other year, with six motos to go, we would count Piccolo out twenty points down. But Ryder McNabb just proves that twenty points means fuck all in four motos. So there's plenty of time for Piccolo. That's what's crazy about this. And the Nazi hasn't stole points. That's gotta happen in these last six motos. Yeah, you would think. Pretty unbelievable. Okay, so I guess, is there anybody else you want to talk about in the, the 250s? There's some, some good rides, but nothing that really stands out. Is there anything that really uh, stands out in a bad way to either of you guys? Uh, go ahead, if you got anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed, actually, in Moto2 with Tyler Gibbs. I mean, like I said, the, 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 yeah, the cards yeah. fell in his, his place a little bit. He didn't have a great first moto, but he went 11-4 for six overall, which I thought was good. Um, William Crete, as Galdi mentioned, a newcomer into the series. He always does the, the East Coast, um, and he did do some AMA Nationals this year. But a little fun fact as we were talking about the start and, and how the inside gate is normally dominant. So all four hole shots, so both Crete and both Medaglia, all from the same gate. I listened to Tyler's interview with DMX this morning, and every single, well, all four hole shots came from the exact gate when does that ever happen i mean that's just another little bit of uh excitement to the whole thing of how this whole thing played out um so four hole shots are the same gate uh the negative what happened to natsky of course and galdi you could probably talk on this because you were there what the hell happened to canelo this weekend nine six like yeah off the pace bad starts no charge no fight just didn't seem, you know what? He was actually he was in a lot of battles. We gave him some love on TV and stuff yeah. like that. But like Amiot out battled him, and, and yeah. Amiot went five five for four. So he's continuing his you know upward trend. And I tell you, the buzz in the pits about that kid is really high right now. And I got to meet Frank um, uh, from Manlock Racing, and you know they're all in like their team. They're here to stay. They want to yeah talking next year and stuff. So that's awesome to hear. So. You know, pe- uh, people might want to try to steal Quinn, but it looks like he might have a pretty good home. They're having bikes and the sponsors, so that's pretty cool. And then, but yeah, I, I'm, the Canelo thing is just, yeah, it's a wash right now. It's not good. Um, and, uh, you know, I, obviously we're, we're such a small town race series and small niche and everything like that, but right now you got to think that Canelo's going to be searching for a team and a job here. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it always sucks when we have to talk about these things because these kids are our friends and right. managers and everything, but... It's not good for the 46 here in 2022. It's just not going the way that uh, it should be 
for the talent and skill set that that kid has for sure. Yeah. How old is Quinn Amiot? Uh, twenty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was like that whole. Other than Natsuki and and Harrison, who are both I think twenty three, everybody else is they like they can't get into an American bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. And some of them can't even drive. And some of them don't even have their drivers. Yep, that's so, impressive. Let let me ask let me ask both of you guys this, and I'll start with Ken. You're you're looking into a crystal ball. Who's holding this number one plate after Walt? Who's holding the plate? Go ahead, Ken. Uh. I think Ryder. I don't know. Like, well, it's hard to say because Piccolo's so good at starting. He's he seems to stay out of the trouble that comes with you know starting in the back of the pack. But he also has uh, he's been good this year. But uh, this week he had that one get off, and you can only have one or two of those in a in a series. Although this one's kind of moving back and forth between him and Ryder. But yeah, I think Ryder is who I'd pick if I if I had a gun to my head and I had to pick somebody, I'd probably bet on Ryder. Based off the last three tracks, Golly, who are you going with? Well, if you're going off the last three tracks, you're going with McNabb. Um, well, not necessarily. Actually, Harrison's had some pretty damn good rides. Look, I, at, I, look at McNabb's fucking Deschambeau last year, man. It was terrible. That was the championship deal. I'm sorry, based on the last race, I thought you meant like the last three. No, um, sorry, oh, the yeah. upcoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I, I would say I feel like Harrison's going to have an advantage at Moncton, not because he's from there like that, right for the team, but he's just in really good shape. I think it's going to be extra hot. There's going to be yeah. a huge crowd, and the experience is going to come into play. And it's the only thing that might not be as good for him there with the amount of jumping and and obstacles, which are all super fun. I feel like the kids are going to be you know extra scrubby and stay yeah. alone. But that also could make them you know push too much energy. Um, Deschambeau, yeah, he McNabb had a horrible Deschambeau when Piccolo was a fun, like seriously, this is a, this might be the toughest one ever. Like I don't sound like on math to show people waffle, 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 but yeah. I, I still got to sit. I think I give it to Harrison right now. If I had to pick right now, I give it to Harrison. I think he's in the best shape. I think he's the most comfortable with his bike. He keeps proving to us that he wants his title a little bit more than the other one. Right now, it is only one point. McNabb's been chipping away. If I had to pick a guy, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to go with Harrison. If you're putting me on the spot. Okay. And you, who are you? Well, I can't answer this because I'm too biased, but I, I, I worry about Harrison, like, as far as from the team side, like, dude, this guy is unbelievably solid, right? Regardless yeah. of what's thrown at him, obviously, Ryder's got the momentum right now. He's he, He's been the best guy in the last two races, of course, but, yeah, I think Moncton will be a question mark, and, if, and like I said, but then... If we get through Moncton, then I worry about Deschambeau based off of what the hell happened last year. Now, Walton, of course, I would argue that Ryder's probably the best out of the three at, at Walton. He seemed to he, he's always done well there and, and put it together. But dude, this thing's a fucking nail biter. <laughs> uh, okay, one one more guy. I think I just want to ask uh, you about Goldie is Julian Bennick. He was in eleventh with eight eleven. Didn't you say? A week ago or two weeks ago that he had a broken collarbone? Yeah, he broke it the week before Walton. Uh, didn't ride Walton, rode practice at Gopher, pulled the chute, and then raced this weekend. So That's pretty impressive, uh, I mean, then, eh? Deuce knows the track record. The kid, they're not maybe the best decision-making, but he pulled, hey, 11-8 this weekend is pretty damn good for racing and not, and, and not being in, in uh, great physical health. So yeah, pretty yeah. pretty good showing I'd say for a kid. He's actually out here. I'm not saying Lee right now doing this with you guys, and he's out here teaching in the rain with Moth, Dylan Wright, and Tanner Ward. They're doing a motocross school out here. Oh, cool. <laughs> pretty kid. And McNabb pulled shoot on it, so Bennick's filling in. <laughs> oh nice. Okay, well I think that covers two fifties. We're uh, about forty five minutes in already here, so we should probably move <laughs> on to four fifties. Um, so obviously the story of the day in four fifties is the. Uh, Dylan Wright, uh, Chris Blackmer, let's call it an incident, I guess. Uh, my personal opinion, it's hard to say because I only got to watch it live and then I got to watch the replay, so I've only seen it twice. But the second time I saw it on the replay, it did look like Dylan got out of shape. But it, when you see it at full speed, it just looks like he just went for his front wheel and that was it. So I don't know. I'm yeah. interested to see what you guys think on this because I I have an opinion, but I don't know, uh, know how informed it is. Well, before we get into it, because I think there'll be a bit of a negative light on Dylan once we start talking about it, uh, in the sense, 
14 motos in a row is pretty he, he set a new Canadian record I, I think that's awesome, there, at some point Ross Peterson probably came close to this or did this but I, we, it's too hard to find those stats but the the him going right now 14 and 0 is pretty spectacular and I tweeted this out his his qualifying lap like if I was like a young girl looking to find the motocross racer of my dreams, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like I got a bit of a chubby watching it, man. I've never seen anybody go that fucking fast on a dirt bike. It was it was un- like four, it was like four seconds faster or something. Wasn't it, it? it was four. It just was un freaking believable, man. It was so he is so fucking fast. If he wants to be, like it is unbelievable. So we'll get down to the incident. So from our angle on TV, and I went, I did my due diligence this time because I didn't want to do the Thompson sort of thing. I went and talked. I talked to Dylan. I talked to Steve Sims, and I went and talked to the referee. And we've got. We also talked to some riders. Nuke was able to talk to some riders this morning about it and get viewpoints on every angle of it all. So as far as the actual incident, so on TV, Ken, you saw the same thing I saw, and it does look like Dylan. Well, going into it. He, he gets a run on Black Mirror through the rollers. They get to side-by-side down into where the amateur finish line is. Yep. And into the sweeper, Black Mirror chops it down, and he plays good defense, and he holds the line. Dylan gets the run, carries the speed up over that tabletop, scrubs a little bit harder. And so he's carrying the momentum, kind of making the pass. As, as they land together, he lands on the very right-hand side of the track where there's like a little edge and a wall. And, and wet soil that still hasn't been touched from all day from watering the track and everything, because that's where the sprinkler heads are. But the, that part of the track never gets ridden on. So he lands, and you, you see him. The bars kind of blow out of his hand. Black Mirror is actually starting to sweep into the turn, not really knowing that I think Dylan is there. And then, yeah, Dylan definitely kind of looks out of control, but he doesn't. there's not even an attempt to make that inside line, whether he could or not. As you're looking at it, it definitely looks like it would have been hard. He drove straight through Black Mirror, Goes into the back wheel, boom, he goes down. So now let's get into the conversation pieces. And I actually saw another angle. I saw uh, there's a fan. A fan had it from straight on on his cell phone and gave it to Steve Sims um, just for another angle. And you see Dylan, like, he, like, uh, Ken, you've never been here, but Newton, there's a gate right there, right, where you can cross the track. Yeah. yeah. He He's, like, up on to that, like, roadway. Wow. When he lands, he gets spit onto the roadway. So he's... It definitely showcases that he's kind of out of control a little bit in that instance there. So maybe he wasn't able to stop and 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 uh, and and not hit uh, Blackmere. So now I went to Dylan first. I didn't do this in any particular order, just the way it worked out. So I went to Dylan first, and uh, he started the conversation like, "Do you want me to tell you the truth, or do you want me to give you something that's political?" And I'm like, "Well, I want I want the truth of it." He's like, "Well, I I didn't like what he did at Gopher." which new from remember we watched it yeah at uh, the first lap of the first moto right so whether there was a beef or something there and and whatnot and then the chop down at the end of the straightaway kind of made dylan turn into a little bit of old school dylan where he blocked out from that moment till the incident and he went for it if you watch the rest of the tv show that 450 was the throttle was stop was to the stop okay <laughs> And if we go back in time here, and this got brought up with a few other guys, there was the Phil incident. That was just a racing incident, apparently. There was the Marshall Welton incident last year. That was just a racing incident. And then now there's this one at the same track. All three of them, just a racing incident. So there are some in the pit that are very unhappy with and there are some that are just like, it's a bracing incident. So take it if it how you will. Try not to be biased or anything like that. But Dylan, for sure, on this thing, he blacked. He said he was going for it. He blacked out. That's a super fast section. Yeah. And he kind of hit the wobbly, loses the bars. And he says, he says Blackbird drove into the back of him. That's how he sees it. He says Blackbird drove into the back of him. I don't know if I can agree with that totally, <laughs> but Blackbird comes down. He's, you know, trying to get into the race line there and they hit. So that's Dylan's sort of story on. The next guy I go to is talk, talk to is Steve Sims. Now, when I went there, I figured it was going to be just, you know, a fuck Dylan, fuck this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Absolute opposite. He's like, you know what? I'm not upset with the incident. I'm really unhappy that my rider is hurt. That sucks. But I'm really pissed off at the way the flags were used. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? He's like, why the fuck wasn't that a medic flag? So the, the at the beginning of the jump, on the TV side of it, the next time that we saw the jump, it was a yellow flag, and Moffenbeier was the first rider to hit it. Yeah. 
well, I guess he would have first rider. It would have been the back half of the the guys on that lap. And then, but the first rider on the TV side of things was Moffenbauer. And I've kind of alluded, like, oh, Moffenbauer, let's see if he's going to check up here. This might be a Red Cross situation. Boom, he jumps it. It's just yellow. I'm like, okay. And you see him, he lands with the round, the outside. Boom. And that's the way the rest of the race carries on. But Blackmer's down there for, Six I don't know, laps. five laps. Yeah, five laps, yeah. For a while. And so Steve, I guess, he blacked out. And he blacked out on head referee Paul Kingsley, who when I'll talk about what Kingsley said, but I'll just tell you right now, like Kingsley was like, I thought he was going to punch me out. Like, he was that fired up. He thought that Kingsley, he, he was, and he's doing this during the moto. So he's taking away from Kingsley trying to do his job and making sure that the situation is looked after so the medics and everybody can do their job. So he's upset about that. Why isn't there a red cross? Why isn't that? I'm like, okay, so that was that incident. So I call Paul Kingsley at the end of the day, and I'm like, hey, man, why wasn't that a red cross? And he explains to me, like, look, it, we've talked about it, and the red cross situation has always been this extra dramatic docking managers squeaking into it, cutting people, or looking to fine or kick people out or blah, 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 it's, uh, and Canadian Moto. And I think everybody on the phone can attest to that. Our red cross has cost some pretty... Yeah, silly situations, not right or wrong, however you look at it. There's been times when the Red Cross has been out and it's like docked 11 spots or DNF or DNQ or whatever the hell it's been. So they've really tried to hone in and make it so the Red Cross has to be absolutely necessary when a rider's blocking the track, the medics can't get to the rider. Uh, it is an extremely dangerous situation. And they've actually built this, and I didn't know this, and I don't know if you would have thought, Noof. Daryl and Kinger go around now with red paint and paint the yellow cherubies between sections. Yeah. So if the flag is before this red cherubies and the riders in this in this zone, that flagger is taught to get the medic flag. If it is past that zone, it is a yellow flag. I thought I'm like, okay, shit. These guys are doing their due diligence. Like they're yeah. not just you know out there to fucking just get the race going kind of thing. So Kinger's explaining that to me, and then he explains to me, look it, we assess it, we had our medics on radio, they didn't feel that they were unsafe, we said, boom, go back to the yellow, because the Red Cross was out first, because that's the initial thought, and then Kinger came down, he was in the tower, he came down from the tower, and he said, put it away, the medics are fine, the situation is around the corner, it is out of the zone of the Red Cherubies, we can handle this with the yellow, and we can get the riders going around the outside of the track. Therefore, they can jump, they can keep racing, they can keep racing forward. And then basically the last thing that he explained to me was, you know what? If this was a junior or the super mini, then God's fucking right. The Red Cross would have been up, and we didn't. But this is professional motocrossers. They know what to do. They know how to handle situations. The yellow flag means use caution. That's what they're told to do with the riders meeting. They all use caution. There was not an incident. Uh, a couple riders said that they nearly hit the flag or this and that. They didn't hit the flag or so, you know, horseshoes and hand grenades. You can say almost, but nothing did happen. Around the situation, the race continued. Chris and Stim Sims were saying that they were getting roosted from the dirt. And King's like, dude, it's sand. It's traveling 30 feet, 40 feet, yeah. like, you know, kind of thing. So that's the three stories there. And, and, and uh, uh, Noof, I know you talked to some of the riders, so now you can kind of, you know, go from the rider's standpoint in the situation because I tend to lean a little towards the referee after the explanation I got. Well, yeah, and, in, in like, with everything you said about, the, you know, point A to point B and the, in the Red Cross zone and where this happened at, I guess – when we talked to Moffenbauer this morning, Sean Moffenbauer said, because we just asked him straight up, like, what did you think, man? You you were in it. And he said it was very situational because, and I think anybody that's road gopher, or sorry, Sandalee, that section is extremely fast. So when you're doing that step down tabletop thing, like, dude, you're going really fast. Like that would be third gear on a 450, probably doing 45, 50 miles an hour coming into the zone. So what Sean said is where they were pushing them over to the side, there was a big kicker on the jump, and it was really sketchy. So, you know, I lean towards on your side, Dolly, to what the referees did because they did follow everything they've been preaching about how they have this year made the, the red zone, let's call it, from point A to point B, depending on where the situation is and when that red cross flag should be out. But like Sean shared with us, 
it wasn't a great move and it was dangerous and it was sketchy and where they had to hit the jump and where they were landing. So, man, it was just like one of those things. And like Kingsley in the moment was doing everything by the book of what they have, you know, pre-set up for situations like this. Unfortunately, I think of where Chris was down, it's just how it kind of played out. So, um, it, <laughs> I guess you can kind of see it 50, 50 from both sides, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I don't really think there was a right or right or wrong. Obviously nothing happened after the fact. So, you know, but in that situation, it's so, me running a race at AMO, I'm an amateur race director. That would have been a Red Cross all day For long. For sure. Yeah, 100%. All day on the thing, no jumping, none of that stuff. But again, this is the professional motocross series. Yeah. These guys know what to do. And Sean stated that there was a kicker on the jump. Well, the yellow flag, use caution. Yeah. Don't. Well, you don't and, and, you've see, and you've seen this so many times before, Galdi, where even in an amateur situation when we have a section that has a jump and there there's a rider down 150 feet later, you know, we get bitched at for having the right cross flag out because we're slowing the battle down that could continue to battle. Right. So yeah. that's why Kinger and, and Daryl and, and everybody has made this decision of, you know, point A to point B um, who knows, like if that had been a different section of the track and they had a red cross flag out, these same team managers could be bitching, what put the red cross away? There's no need for the red cross, right? So it's, it, it, it can go either way. Uh, and the last thing I guess we can kind of touch on it now is uh, if anybody, the Twitter guys or everybody that thinks they know how to run a race or all that kind of shit, if you think that Paul Kingsley and Daryl Murphy, the guys that are the head of all these officials, are not are, are trying to put a rider in harm's way or not thinking about the rider safety first, then we should just stop watching our Canadian series altogether because there are two guys that do not do that without putting the rider in the situation first on that thing. So, yeah. again, this is not me saying what they did was, yeah, fucking right, that's the best way to do it. I'm just saying they know what they're doing in these situations. And the more now that we look at it and break it down, everything was handled by the book as they've been stating, just like you said, Noof, and the situation was fine so it could have gotten into an ugly thing and it's almost like you know hey we should have a four-way stop sign at this intersection instead of just a two-way and yeah. you wait for an accident to happen before you put the stop sign up well and the and the thing is too is that this happened like just about halfway through the moto there's yeah. a lot of shit going down there Kinger's trying to do, you know, overwatch the race. Obviously, he's concerned about Chris's safety. It sounded like it was a pretty ugly situation there for a few minutes where he was knocked out. Yeah, You have to make a split-second decision of yeah. what you're going to do and how you're going to handle it, and you got to stick with it. You can't change halfway through after a lap or two. You've literally got to stick with what you decide at the, at the first moment when it happens, and you have to try to con control the situation. I mean, Kingsley has been doing this for years and years and years. And so we have to trust that he made the right decision. Now, if he looks back on it this week, maybe he thinks it could have been handled a little bit different. I don't know. And nor is anything going to change. I guess if the riders thought it was sketchy and the team thought it was, thankfully nothing happened. It could have gone sideways. I don't know. It didn't. So, I mean, at the time it was the right decision and that's what they went with. Yeah, 100%. Aaron. And uh, um, a pretty wild – and the, the thing on like on TV, again, I saw, well, I saw that second angle that Sim has, but it really didn't look like Blackbeard really crashed that hard. So it was like I thought yeah. he would have been up and going, you know, right after the next lap. But when I talked to Sims, he's got a bit of a, a soft melon. So I guess if he hits the head, hits the dirtness, he's been he's been a um, – he's kind of a concussion nightmare, I suppose. That's He explained that before oh. he got the ride. So – you know, when you look at the crash, you know, he landed on the berm. He kind of downsized it. It didn't really look like he got flung super hard. So for him to get knocked out kind of goes with what I guess he shares. So, you know, him being down for the, the four or five laps, that's what it was. He was knocked out. He's completely fine. Nothing's broken. Uh, he'll, he should be okay. I guess he's just probably going to get a doctor's note to race next weekend um, kind of thing. But um, just kind of a weird – I didn't think the accident itself was made for a five-lap situation. But, again, I'm not the rider on the bike, yeah. and, and um, I guess it's good that everything was okay. He's okay for it. 
But um, it's just a wild situation. But again, I I tend to lean to the way that the king of these guys. That's the way they that's the way yeah. they promote it. That's the way yeah. they talk about it. In the managers' meetings, the the riders' meetings, they did it a protocol. Um, you know, Kinger is, they'll sit again. They said they're going to sit all week and kind of get more information from other, the teams. They'll talk to Sims because, you know, Sims was pretty heated apparently. And it wasn't just Kinger that said that. And Kinger told me, I thought, I thought he was going to punch me out. <laughs> so the pet flag would have had to come out because I would have been laying in the middle of the track. He said, yeah, sort of, so, um, <laughs> you know, now it's all, everything's, you know, the dust is settled kind of thing and, and we're on to the next game, but, uh, you know, the, the 450 has been a bit of a yawner so far. Dylan is, you know, doing what the Carmichael, the steward did and really stealing from the rest of the racing. That second moto gave us a sort of a uh, a brief look at what dramatic things can happen when it doesn't play the way that it's been. a bit of a scary situation, but it also gave up some amazing racing with Offenbeier leading for like seven minutes. Well, actually, that's not quite that long because uh, Tyler crashed, but he's leading and Tyler's big, huge crash in the first moto. Yeah, that was Tanner Ward not really showing up this weekend. Uh, Felix Lopez, you know, the Mexican, done, having a great sand weekend. Like, it was just a – it was – the MX-101 script board, it just keeps, you know, hey, let's scratch this. Here. Yeah, let's hope this fucking works out and boom, it works out again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going back to uh, the, the crash itself with between Dylan and Blackmer. It's something that, like, all sports are kind of dealing with uh, when it comes to officiating is – should somebody be punished more because the guy got hurt? Uh, if if Blackmer would have just popped up and hopped on his bike, nobody would really be, even be talking about it. it would, whatever you think about it, yeah. maybe it was dirty, maybe it wasn't. But uh, the yeah, fact no, that he was laying the there for five laps, yeah. Dylan did it on purpose, or, or yeah, what? yeah. So that's where the talk. But now it's getting uh, overseen. And yeah, you look at like hockey, right? And the way they talk about uh, hits and head injuries, and like, does a guy get two games for this one? Does he get yeah. ten games for that, or any of that kind of stuff? For sure. Okay, so uh, going through the rest of the field, um, I don't know who who stands out to to you, Galdi. Well, actually, for me, again, Brendan McKee from from uh, Lloyd Minster, fifteenth uh, with an eighteen fourteen. That's pretty good. Again, my my theory on the uh, Saskatchewan sand skills is coming through here. So, two things for me, um, and I'll let you guys I'll let you guys take it away after I say it on the first one. I thought if there was any moto that Dylan was going to lose this year at the point when he was 20 seconds down in that second moto, I thought, mm, I don't know if he can do this because T Deggs was riding good. Moff was riding good. I thought like, did you guys think there was any point that he wasn't going to be able to make, I mean, 20 seconds. I, I get it. It's Dylan. He's on a different level, but man, I, I thought for sure the streak's over. I, I thought the, the, the moto win streak is done. I yeah, there was definitely a moment there where we kind of thought it. It took him such a t- long time to get up into that third. So when he got in third, yeah, it was about uh, 12, 15 seconds, I think it was, by the time he got into third. Yeah. And next two laps, he was four seconds a lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, 15, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, fifteen second gap turned into uh, um, you know six very yeah. quickly. Yeah, four and seconds obviously a lap. with the T Dags, T Dags kind of going down there. He had a two eleven on lap seven. That didn't help yeah. uh, his situation, obviously. And then he had to fight to get back uh, or with Moth, but it was too it was too late. Dylan was already on a charge. And like, like honestly, and, and to go back on the crash thing, when Dylan gets in those, like I've been around him for quite a few years now, and dude, when he gets. When he gets the, the the wall thrown against him and he gets in that mindset of going, like, there's no stopping him. He, I don't think he even knows what he's doing sometimes on the track. Like, he just he's just throwing down fastest lap times, blowing feet off the pegs, and, like, he sees black he, or sees red, really. Um, so when he comes up on somebody like Chris, regardless if they've had beef in the past or, or whatnot or not happy about situations, he doesn't care, man. He just goes – and it doesn't matter how he gets around him. He just he just does it. And that's that's Dylan for you, man. But <laughs> I was shocked that he was able to make up that time. And then my next guy that I was like, what the hell is the off-road dude that got ninth in the second moto? Alexander oh, Gugan. <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, that was pretty legit. Top 10. He's an off-road, Quebec off-road dude. Yeah, a weekend off of FMSQ, so uh, off-road guys were here, not just the pro side, but the amateur side, too. And Yeah, he was impressive, man. We he gave him ninth that. overall, 10-9. Ten 10-9. Nine. Ten yeah, nine, yeah nope. no, he did good. That was uh, It was pretty cool to see just a, a new name, and and, uh, and yeah, he wrote good. It was cool. Do you guys know anything about Tommy Dallaire? 
Yeah, a lot of the local French guy got great starts, faded pretty hard. Okay. But uh, he got great starts, and he, he was able to kind of put in some decent moto finishes for sure. Yeah. He kind of did the same thing last year, hey, Galdi? He was kind of like yeah. a, a, a 10, 11, 12 guy, Deschambeau, Sandalie type type deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be in Moncton, but you'll see him at Deschambeau again for sure. Okay. Well, we're over an hour here, so let's, uh, let's just do our uh, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment over the weekend. Noof, we'll start with you. What uh, what do you think of those two questions? Um, biggest surprise, obviously, is just, I, I think I said the same thing last week, is just this points swinging, what the hell is going to happen. Um, but obviously, uh, McNabb kind of overcoming adversity once again yep. to tough this thing out. Um, it, it was a surprise, like knowing Ryder. Obviously, I know his skill. I know his heart. I know his determination. But... Dude, he's he's maturing here and he's making it happen when all the cards are are, are stacked against him. Um, disappointment of it would be obviously the Black Mirror thing. Obviously, we don't like to see anything like that go down, and and obviously another another top rider get hurt. I mean, if he was knocked out, golly, I'm sure he'll be out for a few weeks, so we won't see him. So I'll go Black Mirror for my disappointment is just on the side that uh, that he got hurt. Uh, same questions to you, Goldie. Um, I guess, I don't know if it's a surprise or not, but can we start like talking about media wise, direct MXP, I guess we're on here now, but like the team MX 101, obviously maybe not having the greatest this year, but have had, you know, winning the championships, underrated, smaller budgets, smaller atmosphere. We call them a bit of the redheaded stepchild in Ontario because they're so far away. So it's always hard to get to the races and stuff like that. The facility was unbelievable looking. This weekend, yep. like golf course esque, and what about Sebastian Racine, Dylan Wright, Tyler Medaglia, Jeremy Medaglia? Like, look at the names coming out of this place. Yeah, like it. This place is is breeding some pretty goddamn historic Canadian names. Um, two of them going one two right now in the freaking four fifty class, yep. and then the other young kid right now nearly winning the moto. It's just I don't know if we're under underestimating or under giving under delivering some hype, but it's just it's just pretty cool to see. And then yeah, the surprise, you know, you, you, all the the history behinds our some of our tracks and our nationals and some of that. And then the, the arguably the two very best motos and, and the one this weekend in history is is here here at MX One Hundred One again. So uh, I guess that would be kind of the surprise of it all is uh, of that. And um, I don't really have a disappointment from this one to be honest. With you. I don't really think. I mean, you can go with the Canela, didn't do it, but we've done yeah. that already and everything. But yeah. I don't really think anything was was disappointing to me, man. The crowd was here. It was hot. Maybe that was a bit of a disappointment. It was like, I don't know, it felt like it was about 43 degrees with the humidex. Always hot, though. Oh, <laughs> Always torture. It's here, too, right? There's no wind or nothing here or anything. Yeah. But I didn't really have a disappointment. Like, I thought I was impressed by all the young kids and the heat and fighting through. The track was amazing. The, the, the ways these situations seemed to be, they got handled. The, the I just like I don't I don't have one this weekend I got nothing sort of negative okay. to to put out there and I, actually we'll get a little plug um and if we, we on Saturday we lost another racer Charles Charleston had a big crash in the amateur and we ended up having to cancel some of the motos in the afternoon um actually that's a disappointment when you come here and you get to have a, an accident and you call an ambulance everybody comes ambulance yeah. fire cops there was 10 vehicles here every time it's just an ottawa thing and apparently there was a dispatch uh the one doing it was it was a bit of an anal uh, sort of anyway the people that showed up the cops guys were super cool and they weren't happy with the person but being in charge this weekend because they literally just sent everybody but poor charles charlton one of the bars he got knocked out as well and a broken collarbone he's got a bit of a brain bleed right now oh. but from all accounts and information he's going to be able to you know, be good. He's going to be good because there was some information put out there. And again, I, you know what? There's my disappointment. Why is there such a thing as this five phone calls later? Why can't people just wait to get the information? I guess, you know, maybe I can even eat my own foot sometimes with that too. But there was people that were leaving here on Saturday, basically saying that that poor kid is dead. Yeah. Oh no. Like, Jesus. like what in the F man? I got a phone call about it. I got a phone call about it. the same thing. Five phone calls later. I got a phone call. I was out riding and saying, dude, did you hear about Charles? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what? Like, what's going on? And then so I had to start doing some digging. And that clearly wasn't the case. Um, it was grim, for sure. It wasn't good. But he wasn't dead. There was no CPR given on. I, I heard they were giving him CPR on the track. Like, guys, like, Jesus. 
it, this is a kid's life and, and just like do some research. Well, or just like let let the people do their jobs and wait for the information. Don't even yeah. try on that because we're not you gotta wait to hear it from the horse's mouth on that type of stuff. But yeah, that was that was kind of but hopefully Charles will be okay and and, and same with Blackmere. I think he's, they're both gonna be okay and in some big situations. But um oh, boys, I tell you this uh you living in BC is a scat you guys, you suck. You missed a hell of a weekend. Yeah. No, that, well, that I, I have one more question here, Galdi, and it kind of relates to uh, your your surprise and also how awesome that track looked. I, I'd love to get out there to see that. Uh, Gopher Dune seems like a pretty cool one to see one day too. But I have a question because we're coming up on MXDN, you know, a few months down the road. Is there a track in Canada that could host an MXDN? I've never obviously been to an MXDN. I don't know what it would take. Uh, as far as logistics and infrastructure and things like that, is there a track in Canada that could do it if it was something that, if the the will to do it was there? What do you guys think? Uh, well, no, we have we have quite a few. Um, I think the first one and the best one probably that would come to mind would, and I knew might argue with this one. I don't know, but I, I just because of the way it's situated would be Wild Rose. Like it's in the middle of Calgary. Yeah everything like that it might not be like say the best track for it i guess but i mean they've they've gone to church and shawl and um um and magora which is a similar type of soil and stuff like that but just the way that it's in the city airports restaurants hotels all that kind of stuff you could really hone in and get everybody there very easily track wise yeah we got you could do Kamloops, you could do Beaufort, you could do walton and sandalee moncton the track could do one um you know what i mean like We've definitely got a lot and and more than enough facility type places that could that could house it. But with an MXDN comes a very hefty price tag. Oh really? You so have to buy your way in. You do, yeah. There's like a, a basically a, a a book of of things that you need to do to prepare for an event like that, or even a GP, which Derek Schuster has looked into. And it comes basically out in a million a million dollar investment. Oh. Um, into it by building certain structures and houses and, and buildings that you have to have for certain things. And this is all in sort of their code of conduct, if you will, or code of, of, of racing under the, under the FIM. So it's not just like plug and play. It, there's quite a bit that goes into it. Now in saying the return on it is that you get all the ticket sales, the sponsorship, the, the revenue that comes into it. Like you have to lay out all this money to basically bring the race to you. So um, it's, a big inve- it's a big investment. And like, yeah, Track wise, and we've seen it in GPs, we've seen it in previous MXDNs. The track is kind of the, the minor part of it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's the facility and the infrastructure, like Galdi just said, and, and really boils down to room. Calgary, and I, I'll disagree with Galdi on this. Yeah, the, the, the bonus is that it's 15 minutes from the airport and the restaurants and the town and everything like that, but they don't have the landmass there to be yeah. able to, it, it would be a semi Olympic type thing. You'd have to store people off site and like, it would be really messy that way. Um, Deschambeau on the track side would be phenomenal. They seem to be the facility that gets the most government help and yeah. everything like that. But once again, when we have a Canadian national there, we're jammed to the tits with parking. Like it, it doesn't work. So like, a Gopher, a Walton, a Kamloops, where they have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres of land to where they could facilitate all these structures and buildings and scaffolding and everything would be what works, um, in my in my opinion. The track is like the minor part of it. You can make a track good. So I think the biggest thing would be is if someone did make this investment and do all that shit to make you come here, would fucking people show? Well, that's just it. That's like, it yeah. Would people go and support that race? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you had it in Quebec, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Quebec, love that type of shit. So, good question, Kenneth. Way to go. Way to bring it at the end. <laughs> okay. Hot takes by Ken. All right. Well, <laughs> we've been going for a while here, so I'll let you guys go. So, thank you to everybody right. for listening. Uh, thanks to you two for coming to talk to me, and we'll uh, talk to you next week, and we'll see how things go in Moncton. All right, boys. Cheers. Okay. See you guys. See you later. Later.